Well, hello again, and welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom presented by yours truly, Pastor Dan, as an addition to your Christian living and as a added tool in your journey with Christ. I am pleased and honored that you listen, and it is my hope that in this weekly study, you will be blessed and you will grow in your personal sanctification, that is, in your personal journey with God toward holiness. It is a virtual church classroom where we study scripture together and the things of the church. And today we continue our journey through the Christian Believer course, a 32-week course of study, uh, 32-lesson course of study that uh, is for the understanding of Christian doctrine. In other words, we are trying to understand those basic things that all Christians hold in common, almost all Christians. And it is loosely built around the Nicene Creed, which is the kind of definitive statement of the shared doctrinal beliefs of most Christians. And at this point, we're on Lesson 18, which is called Power to Live and to Serve. That is the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so here in Lesson 18, we will study together how the Holy Spirit changes things in our lives and in the community of people of God that is created by the birth of the church through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So this is, I said, uh, as I said, week 18 or lesson 18, and uh, it is from the store, uh, <laughs> from the course called Christian Believer, written by J. Ellsworth Callis and created by the Cokesbury people. It is my loose interpretation because uh, we're not doing the proper class as it is designed to be, but our own sort of virtual version of it. I hope you've done your homework because it's going to be very helpful as we review today's topic. But before we begin, let's check in with Life Under the Nine Oaks. Well, one thing I can tell you is that here under the Nine Oaks, there is no shortage of leaves to be raked, and uh, it is an endless battle to stay ahead of the piling up of the leaves. Um, for better or worse, unlike my neighbors, I'm not raking them and carrying them out to the front drive for the local pickup service, but rather I'm trying to mulch them as they fall with my lawnmower. I may have to give in, I think and uh, start dragging some of the leaves out to the street because uh, the mulched leaves themselves are becoming quite a pile. So this is all part of this new life we live after leaving the treeless Parsons Prairie and now living under the nine oaks and a variety of other trees. We have a whole different perspective on things. It's a cold, rainy day here at uh, Southwest Indiana and Jasper, and uh, the fire is burning in the fireplace, and the damp, cold air is just that kind that creeps into your bones and just hurts. It just, it's, you know, I, I'm mostly hot and uh, generally get pretty hot and sweaty 
with just a warm thought. But boy, when this cold dampness sets in, it even gets through to me. And uh, so this is the kind of day that we're experiencing. But uh, the Lord is in it all. The Lord is present through it all. And for that reason, we have not only the warmth of the fire, but the warmth of the Spirit of God blessing us. It's been a fairly quiet week in the news, that is to say at least that there have been no major stories of shootings or terrorist attacks or anything like that. There was yet uh, another incident out in California where a man was shooting at different places, but uh, unfortunately, uh, as awful as that sounds, it doesn't appear to be the kind of thing that draws so much attention uh, because we fear that uh, some terror is coming. So our hope and prayers go toward all those who suffer, and uh, we are aware that people suffer in so many ways that never make it into that 22 minutes or so of news that is shown around supper time in every every home in the country. Boy, I hope it gets better from here and I don't keep tripping over my tongue. So it's probably a good time to stop talking about life under the nine oaks uh, and uh, a good time to go ahead and pray. So before we begin our study together, let's pray. Holy God, thank you for this privilege of sharing in this journey together through this virtual experience. Lord, there are many who have mixed feelings about these uh, gifts like the internet and the use of the World Wide Web to reach out to world uh, people all around the world and all around the nation, and uh, justifiably so, because this vehicle is a place, uh, a means of receiving all sorts of ugly things. But there is, Lord, something wonderful that we can do, too. We can be more connected with each other. Your Holy Spirit can join us together, not only in invisible and profound ways, but also in the uh, uniqueness of this body of Christ connected through the Internet. So, Lord, please bless us. Bless us this day as we join together to hear your word. Teach us about the power to live and serve that comes through the Holy Spirit. Make each and every one who listens an instrument of your grace and mercy in the world around them and a source of testimony to your Spirit alive in them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we learned about the Holy Spirit and we basically heard that the Holy Spirit is this third person of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost but a person, that the Holy Spirit is active and present and up to a point had been for particular purposes and uh, particular times. And uh, that point was the Pentecost celebration. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and... uh, and all the people who were present were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
as we think about that event, we want to recall that Jesus had promised to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and that the Holy Spirit would empower them to be his witnesses in the world. Now, if Jesus promised this Holy Spirit and this power, it is for a purpose. And in that regard, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the nature of that indwelling uh, spirit hasn't changed. And perhaps a better way to say that is, is that while we see that the Holy Spirit was present at specific times in specific people for particular purposes throughout the Old Testament, we now see that it's still the same, but bigger. It is still the Holy Spirit coming upon certain people at certain times for certain purposes, but the, the depth and breadth of this definition has grown significantly. Now the Holy Spirit comes upon those who would receive Christ's new life through the Holy Spirit. And so certain persons is those who accept the gift of God's grace through Christ and who accept new birth or new life in Christ. And the purpose is whatever God has called you to as you live it out. And though we're going to talk about that more in a minute, and perhaps it'll make more sense then, but as you looked at your scripture readings this past week, did you begin to notice how the game had changed? Uh, the story of the Spirit and the particular story that I really want to dwell on for a moment is that story where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in the garden in silence and privacy. Remember that Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came to Jesus and was trying to understand in greater uh, depth and, and yet didn't want to get caught. So he was doing it privately and he asked Jesus, you know, exactly how all of these things work that Jesus talked about. And Jesus said, look, if you aren't born again, then nothing changes. You're not going to be any better. You're not going to be new. And Nicodemus is an old man, and he says to Jesus, well, look, are you saying I'm supposed to climb inside my mother and start over again? And it's sort of a humorous and sarcastic statement, but he simply doesn't get what Jesus is trying to say. But Jesus then explains it in a way that is really quite simple and quite profound all at the same time. Jesus says to Nicodemus, look, uh, unless you were born of water and the Spirit, you can't experience this new life that I'm talking about. And then he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And this is one of those statements that has to be unpacked in order to be fully understood. And it yet, even in the unpacking, it isn't terribly complicated. What Jesus is saying is, is that when a flesh born person comes, there is water. I mean, I don't want to be gross or anything, but if you've had any experience with the birth of a mammal, that is whether it was your dog, your cat, your cow, your horse, or if it was your own child, then you know that the first thing that happens as a baby is about to emerge is the uh, waters of the womb burst and come forth. And Basically, the, the embryo, the infant child, is carried in a sack of fluid that is, in effect, their little <clears throat> capsule that contains them until that moment when birth comes. 
and then the baby emerges. But the baby has to emerge from this fluid-filled sac, and therefore the sac must burst. And so when you're trying to induce labor or... I should say when you're trying to bring about the birth of a child who seems a little stubborn about coming forth, one of the things they do is very carefully break that membrane so that the waters of birth can issue. And so when Jesus says quite plainly, flesh gives birth to flesh and you must be born of water, then he's really saying that until you are born and a physically real human being, you can't be born again. And so he's really saying very plainly, first you have to be born. I mean, you know, first you have to be. And then he says, then you can be reborn or born of the spirit. And he says, spirit gives birth to spirit. And so what he's saying is, is that your flesh has been born and you are a person of the flesh. But then the Spirit comes to you and gives you new life and new birth in the Spirit. And this is a really important understanding, and that's why I'm spending so much time on it. If you want to understand what it means to be born again and why it doesn't matter whether you're from one of those traditions that uses that phrase or not, you must think in those terms. Jesus is saying that you must be born again. And so you repent of your sin. You recognize that you have been delivered from the natural state of sin that exists in you, and you have been forgiven for your sin. And this is all because of Jesus Christ, and therefore the justification is through Jesus, not your own works, not your own worth. Once you've accepted that and you've come into this humble relationship with God the Father, then God the Father welcomes you, and in a manner of speaking, Jesus the Son sort of opens the conduit between you and God, and therefore you are no longer blocked from God's presence by your sin. Jesus has opened the flow between God and you as a person, and there is where the Spirit is transferred to you, and you receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you have been born again. I mean, that's really how it works, friends, and it sounds, you know, complicated, and I understand that it really depends on how you're hearing this. If you are a skeptic and an unbeliever, you hear this, and it sounds like a lot of hocus-pocus. Okay. And if you're a believer, you hear this, and you believe it is true, and perhaps this is becoming more complete in your mind. You're beginning to understand more completely what is happening in you. Once you're born again and the Holy Spirit is now flowing to you, you are not the same anymore. Um, I had this weird image pop into my mind the other day as I was imagining this process. And I thought, well, you know, it's a little bit like when the embalming fluid is introduced to a dead body. They drain the blood from one place and they replace it with embalming fluid. And in this way, there is this sort of preserving agent introduced to the body. Now, it's a terrible analogy, and yet it is, in a way, sort of uh, a way of explaining how our spiritual nature changes. We are sort of drained of our human fleshly spiritual identity and then the new spiritual identity that comes from God the Father through Jesus the Son fills us as the Holy Spirit.
Now, that's a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week, but it sets the stage for understanding how this new life in Christ, where we are now spirit-filled, spiritual beings living in the flesh, how does this work? And what are we supposed to do with this power that has come upon us? As we hear the story of Pentecost, for example, as the Holy Spirit comes, we see in that event this this rush of wind, like that wind that blew into the lungs of the man at creation, like that wind that blew over the chaos and brought order to it, this rush of wind that was present at the beginning of all of God's creation, that same rush returns, and it fills the people there with the Holy Spirit. In the same way, they are now aware of how they are different, and these tongues of fire appear over their heads. And it's interesting that they're referred to as tongues of fire. It almost makes you think of that statement in Isaiah where he says that the cherub placed a hot coal on his lips so that he could speak and he could be in communication with God through the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, of me of unclean lips, you know. And so, in a sense, this is a a renewal or a makeover for all of Christian, well, not Christian, but those in relationship with God, whether Jew or Christian. And then that process leads us into a new way of being. Now, think of it in these terms. As you were reading through Corinthians, for example, you were hearing that there are certain things that happen, certain gifts that happen, uh, uh, or I should say fruits. I meant to say fruits. There are certain fruits that are born as a result of this transformation. And by that, I mean that once you have experienced the Holy Spirit changing your life, You are now made new, and not only that, but in your newness, there are certain things that uh, change about you, certain things that make you uh, different in the way that you act, in the way that you appear, in the way that you interpret the world around you. And so, these are the fruits of the Spirit, and these fruits are given to all. That is to say that everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit is going to take on a certain likeness to the Holy Spirit. And so, my children might look at my receding hairline and the baldness of the back of my head, and they might say, gee, Dad, you can keep that gift, or that fruit, rather. You can keep the fruit of your lineage, and uh, you don't have to pass that one on to me. But the truth is, is there are certain things that pass through from one generation to the next, And these could very well be referred to as the fruits. How do you know that you come from the same family line as your father and your mother and your grandfather and your grandmother? Well, because there are certain traits that you can trace from them through to yourself, certain uh, physical traits especially, and then there are the cultural traits that come from the family's culture. And uh, these are the fruits of your birth lineage in the flesh. So, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that when we receive the Holy Spirit and we're born again, that we now bear the fruit or the 
signs that we are descended spiritually from the Holy Spirit of God. And these fruits are those things that are true in all believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and born again. And so there's joy and there's peace and there's uh, there's a, a certain spiritual cleansing that comes from that. There are activities that occur in our minds and our hearts that are different because we see things differently. We experience the world in a different way. It's what I referred to last time we met as having a Christian biblical worldview. The world that we see around us doesn't seem the same anymore because the lens through which we look at the world has been taken away and replaced with the eyes of our Lord given by the Holy Spirit. Then we are told that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are different, and I apologize for my getting tongue-tied and twisted as I try to explain this to you, because I have gotten the words backwards, and perhaps that's something that happens to you in this conversation as well. But it's important to know the difference between fruits and gifts. Now, fruits are those things that are common to all people who are born again of the Holy Spirit, but gifts are specific. And those gifts are given according to whatever purpose God has in store for you. And so if you have the gift of exhortation, for example, if you have a gift for teaching or you have a gift for administration and leadership, that is a gift that God gave you. Now, a gift is something you didn't have before, and then someone or something gave it to you. And so in a very real sense, you should think of a gift as being something that didn't naturally occur in you until it was given to you. A great illustration would be for you to take whatever your dominant hand is and write your name, and then take the other hand, the non-dominant hand, and write your name again. Quickly you see that there is something that you can do easily with one hand, but you cannot do easily with the other. So what would happen if something changed? What if someone said, I have given you a gift, and you discover that you can now write just as well with your non-dominant hand as you do with your dominant hand. That would be an indication of a gift, something you couldn't do before that you can do now. And the way you recognize it as part of God's plan, as part of God's fruit, uh, fruit there I go again, as a part of how God uses you for a specific purpose and at a specific time and place is that that gift is there for a reason. And so now you have this capability that you once lacked. And it is so that you can do something that God has in store for you. And so the power to live and to serve is really manifest in the gifts. The fruits are those things that you do differently and see differently and experience differently because you are a born-again believer. I mean, frankly, if you want to understand the difference between fruits and gifts, just think of it this way. The fruits are those things that come because you've been saved. And if you are a saved person, then you know that you've been saved from something. And you've been saved from this uh, certain death and this certain separation from God that would be called hell or Uh, death in the most literal sense, which is to simply cease to exist. I mean, however you want to interpret it, the fruit of the Spirit is the joy and the hope that you feel because you have been taken from death's door 
You've been taken from the entrance to the prison. You've been taken from the gallows, and you have been restored to life. And so all of the fruits of the Spirit could be described as those benefits that come from having your life restored and saved. And this is your eternal life we're talking about. Gifts of the Spirit, on the other hand, are those things that God gives you so that you can do what God has called you to do. So what are you called to do? What has God made you able to do? What has God gifted you to do? This is the question that you should ask as you look for ways in which God has empowered you to live and to serve. We have a lot of talents, and some of them are things that we've cultivated on our own. Some of those things that we do are done because we want to and we try hard and improve because of the hard work. And God certainly lets us use those to glorify God, but if there is something that God wants us to do, it is more likely to be known in that it is something we don't do naturally. And there are certainly in my life those kinds of activities. There are a lot of things in my life that have been completely and utterly changed over time because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was a time in my life when I would have thought that I was a virtual loser. There was a time in my life when I would have believed without hesitation that I wasn't going to amount to anything. And I was even receiving such messages from the people that I looked up to, and I believed it. I thought it was true, that I really wasn't going to amount to anything, I wasn't going to accomplish anything, and uh, that I was just destined to make mistakes and fail. And uh, a certain amount of that changed because my attitude changed, my self-confidence changed, but there was also a part of it that changed because the Holy Spirit changed me. Uh, I'm still terrible at algebra, and nothing I have done to improve my confidence and to improve my understanding has made me any better at algebra. But it turns out that God doesn't need me to do algebra. Thankfully, there are people who are very good at it and for good reason. And that's why we can count on the bridge to stand when we drive across it or for the airplane to stay up in the air when we fly in it. So there's plenty of people out there that I'm really glad God has given the ability to do algebra, but he didn't give it to me. And apparently, no matter how hard I pray, he's still not going to make me any good at algebra. But it turns out that he's made me fairly good at theology, and he's made me fairly good at writing, and he's made me fairly good at communicating complicated ideas in less complicated ways. He seems to have made me a capable administrator of a church, and he seems to have made me able to do things that I once thought I was not capable of doing, and he has given me a confidence and a poise in that way that makes me all the more effective. I can credit God for this because I know that apart from God's intervention, it probably wouldn't have happened. And yet, I'm not trying to sell myself short and suggest that I was virtually inept and useless I think rather what God does is God takes those things that we have in us and he makes them better for his name's sake. This is why when I pray for the sick who are about to undergo a surgery or those who are injured who are about to receive critical care, when I pray for them, I will always say, Lord, please make these doctors and nurses and technicians and all those involved in the care better than they thought they were. 
I pray that prayer because I already know they're good at what they do. And the only way that God can really show God's presence because of our prayers is to show those people more than they thought they were capable of. And so a spiritual gift could also be a way in which you are already talented, but the giftedness comes in that you see some, some manifestation of your talent that is beyond your ability. And that means that if you're a great surgeon, and yet things go so perfectly that you know you had divine help, you cannot deny it. So when I pray that prayer, my hope is that not only will the person I'm praying for receive the blessing, but I'm also sort of hoping that the doctors and the nurses and so forth will see something that might cause them to honor God. And in that way, not only is the prayer answered for the sake of the one for whom I pray, but it is also answered in a way that glorifies God, which is my heart's desire. I can look at my own life and see the same thing. There are ways in which I was already talented, There are ways in which I was already able to do certain things, but God has gifted me with better fruits or better gifts, I should say, better means of expression of those talents. Those natural abilities have been enhanced beyond what would be considered natural for God's purposes. And so I give God all the glory. So in your life, where do you see the Holy Spirit giving you power to live and to serve? Have you asked God for power to live and to serve? Have you been uh, able to see yourself through God's eyes? As you've been able to see the world through a new lens, can you now see yourself through the lens that God uses to look at you? And therefore, are you willing to accept that if God has given you certain abilities, it is for God's purposes? Are you using them? How are you using them? In what way has God given you power to live and to serve for God's name's sake? Consider that as we pray this Scottish prayer from the 1500s. O Almighty God, who on the day of Pentecost did send the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, to abide in thy church unto the end, Bestow upon us and upon all thy faithful people his manifold gifts of grace, that with minds enlightened by his truth and hearts purified by his presence, we may day by day be strengthened with power in the inward man. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the same Spirit liveth and reigneth one God, world without end. Amen. You've been listening to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom that is uh, made possible through the ministry of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. Shiloh United Methodist Church is the place where I have the privilege of being pastor, and it is there. Uh, paycheck that makes this ministry possible. This is an extension of my service as their pastor, and it is my privilege to serve them through this ministry, but then there are also those out there who are not part of that church who receive it as well. 
My heart's desire is that you've been changed, that you have been blessed as a result of this ministry. My hope for you is that you will not take this as your one and only source of spiritual activity. Pray about what church and what group of people you should be in the journey with, on the journey of Christ with. How can God use you and uh, empower you to live and to serve with others along the way of Christ? Where is God calling you to be? I understand that not every church is a perfect fit for every people, every person, and that not all Christian peoples are the kind of Christian people you want to hang out with. I get it. There are lots of people out there who call themselves Christian, who are actively involved in churches, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to live and to serve. In fact, they deny the Holy Spirit because they'd rather not have God mess with the good club that they're a part of. That's a pretty harsh thing to say, but it's true. There are a lot of Christians, so-called, who call themselves Christians, who worship in a worldly way, who are part of a fellowship of non-believers, people who ascend to the truth but don't believe it, people who agree that they'd rather be called Christian than atheist or something else, but they really don't live with the power that comes through new birth in Jesus Christ. And no, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have gifts and certain fruit that are apparent to others, but they are rather people who have a certain blindness, even while they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. I guess what I really want to say to you is is that there will always be those who are new in the faith, who are young and immature, who haven't demonstrated particular gifts and graces yet because they are not fully developing in their journey with Christ. There are those who are ignorant and have much to learn. There are those who are in process or making progress, but they're not clearly identifiable yet. But there are also those who really are much more like the Pharisees of the Bible than they are the true believers. And I hope that I haven't deeply offended anyone who might think I'm talking about them, because really all I want for everyone is that you might know the joy and the peace and the happiness and the fruitfulness of born-again believers who are now children of God through Jesus Christ, who carry God's blood in their being, that is, the Spirit of God, is their new life's force. But if you're not living into the power that comes from that, pray that God might empower you in a new way through the Holy Spirit. If you are, in some way or another, worried about what that might look like, I would encourage you to remember that God will empower you to live and to serve wherever God has called you to be. And if it means being a part of one of those churches where people do things and act in strange ways because that's a sign of the power that God has given through the Holy Spirit, then that's one thing. But if you're called to a more sedate setting among the frozen chosen, but you still see that God is making things happen that you couldn't have made happen without God's intervention, rest assured the Holy Spirit is at work. 
And don't worry about what other people's Christianity looks like. The only kind of Christianity I don't want to see is the kind of Christianity that is in name only. What I look for are people who are born again and who are living out the power that God gives through the Holy Spirit and the gifts that God gives through the Holy Spirit. Well, I started out trying to say goodbye and I ended up doing a little more preaching. Sorry about that. So again, be sure to support Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can visit us at shilohum.org, S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org, and uh, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. If you don't live in southwest Indiana near Jasper, then make sure you get somewhere this weekend to worship with other believers and to walk in the way with other followers of Christ born again, and living into their spirit power to serve. God bless you. Goodbye.